This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by EasyRollerDice.com for when you want to up your dice game. And listeners like you who support us at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show or shopping using the DMs Guild and Amazon affiliate links. Hi, I'm Ed Greenwood and you're listening to The Tome. Welcome to Gamer to Gamer. I'm your host, Jeff Greiner. Once a month, I interview a member of the gaming community because gamers are awesome and the world needs more awesome. With me for this episode of Gamer to Gamer is Stan. You may know Stan from the 10x10 Tunes, a one-panel comic that has graced the pages of Dragon Magazine, the internet, and my heart. He is also one of the geniuses behind Rogue Genius Games. But beyond that, Stan has been a stable figure in the design, writing, and editing work for Dungeons & Dragons since you were but a glimmer in your mother's eye. He has more pedigree and credibility to talk gaming than just about anyone I know, and if you and you couldn't find a n- nicer fellow to boot. Welcome to Gamer to Gamer, Stan. Holy cats, I don't know how I'm ever going to live up to that. <laughs> Happy to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. At the end of the episode, we're going to hit you with the lightning round and see if you can beat the current best time. But before we do that, let's get to know a bit about Stan. So first of all, who is Stan? I'm just his guy, you know? And do I always have to do I have to say it with the exclamation point? Do I have to say uh, you know? I, I always people ask me how to pronounce that, and my answer always is however you want, right? It's 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 good for being recognized, but I'm not. I don't really uh, you know hold much ceremony over it. Uh, <laughs> I think that the best thing about it is when people don't know and they talk about me, they usually do it in some way that makes them sound like they're happy. Right? Oh, good. Oh, hey, look, this is new by Stan. Oh, hey. <laughs> And so, you know, that's just kind of good marketing. So nobody's, like, calling out Stan, you know? There are, there are people. Uh, I work, uh, uh, there's a guy named Pierce Waters, who I, I work with at Wizards. He still works at Paizo, um, who told me that it, it, it's a way in, in uh, uh, English notation for uh, either, either Mandarin or Cantonese for denoting the third stress syllable, you know that's a, that's a tonal language. Mm-hmm. So by having it there, that there's a it, it denoted a particular way of pronouncing my name, and he insisted that then I'd be something like Stan okay. because that's how it would be in Chinese. Okay, um, but uh, uh, I don't know if he's if I don't know how true that is, but it sure sounds like a good story. <laughs> so so. Uh, Let's let's get a little bit of your pedigree, and then I want to find out about sure. about the name as well. But uh, but let's talk about it. so 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 your stand. What's sort of right. your your history <laughs> that people should be aware of? Okay, um, let's see. We've only got forty five minutes. I'll do the fast one. <laughs> um, I uh, um, you know, long time game fan. I started playing D anD D back in seventy nine. Uh, I. Uh, um, Played a whole lot of uh, Villains and Vigilantes. Villains and Vigilantes is really the game that I cut my my homebrew game design teeth on. That's where I did my my you know uh, amateur apprenticeship. Uh, we had an, an eight year V and V campaign back through college and afterwards, and we did a lot of uh, homebrew design and and uh, tweaking with the system. Um, so you're talking, then, you're, so talking yeah. early, you're talking early eighties. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, it's, and as you may know, Villains and Vigilantes just did a Kickstarter for a new edition, which is coming out soon. Um, I'm looking forward to that, if only for uh, you know the nostalgia value. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, um, I went to I went to college in upstate New York at the uh, uh, university. It used to be the State University of New York at Binghamton, but now is just Binghamton University. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, go go Bearcats, uh, and uh, um, a bunch of people there. Uh, obviously, one of those uh, uh, hub schools. There are a bunch of people who have worked in the industry, and particularly at TSR and Wizards, who who went there. And so, I a bunch of people I knew there wound up in the game industry, and I I got some uh, freelance work uh, at West End Games through there. And uh, and the opportunity to come and work on staff at West End Games. Uh, I'd been o- working overseas as an English teacher, and uh, I was in Japan, and I'd started or, or co-founded 
a uh, um, a gaming network there, which is still around today. It's called the Japan's International Gamers Guild. Mm-hmm. They they've somehow taken my my uh, crazy little co-idea for a list of people I could game with and turn it into a real organization. So kudos to them. Um, and so I'd run a, 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 a basically a quarterly fanzine to go along with that organization. And because of that, and because of my contacts, I wound up getting a job at West End Games as a graphic designer. Uh, though what I really wanted to be was an editor. They didn't have any positions at the time. And uh, that that went along for a while until some of the contacts and friends I'd made at West End had moved over to TSR, and so I followed them over to TSR and uh, was an editor there on uh, Dragonlance and Dark Sun and Ravenloft, uh, mostly Ravenloft. And uh, from there, Wizards bought the company, and I came over, and uh, I'd already been... Um, already been making a switch over to design for uh, Dragonlance for the Fifth Age team and uh, just kept going that route. And game, game design, not more graphic design. Right, yeah, no, yes, game design. Okay. Um, no, graphic design was something that I kind of walked backwards into. Yeah. But I, it was never any, any of my goals or anything I really trained for. I just happened to do enough work that, I, that West End could put me in a chair and I could get the job done. I was, mm-hmm. I was never really that good at it. I mean, I, it was pat- decent. Uh, uh, most of the job was doing layout and uh, creating maps for Star Wars um, uh, scenarios. Uh, is so, that, Is that the legendary uh, Star Wars, was it the D6 system? Yeah, D6 system. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a bunch of maps and a bunch of layout for the uh, products that came out in 1994, 1995. Uh, but uh, and this this I guess we'll get back to later question about Stan. If you're looking for them, they're marked as being produced by Stephen Brown because that's my actual name. Ooh, big <laughs> Um So uh, yeah, uh, and so I was uh, went on to being a game designer and uh, assistant creative director. Started getting into the management track. Uh, because they didn't make me wear a suit, I could still dress like a schlub. Um, and uh, worked there until I got caught up in one of the layoffs in uh, 2002. There was a, a lot of downsizing going on at Wizards about that time. As tends to happen cyclically, right, uh, uh, with Wizards yeah. and D&D? As, as so, you staff, know, it, staff grows and shrinks over time. Yeah, they, they had more staff than they needed. And I, I, I won't say that's not true, and mm-hmm. they, it just is not, you know, it's a painful process mm-hmm. to, to get it to the right size, particularly when the, uh, the plans, the, the, the business plans were kind of all over the place, shall mm-hmm. we say. Some years I thought they were great, some years I thought they were less inspired, and mm-hmm. uh, that, that continued to be the case for a, you know, a long time. I think their their business plans since fifth edition have been pretty dang solid. Hmm. And I imagine uh, there's a lot of hiring in those cycles where they're they're hiring based on projected growth, and if it doesn't quite meet that, then you have to scale back down again. Well, and... you you know you'd think so, but Wizards is a company that's always been really uh, reticent to add headcount. So you hold on to what you have for as long as you can, because once you lose it, there really isn't a a uh, high probability that when you need more, you'll be allowed to add more. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so mm-hmm. the the D and D team back then was pretty high, but we tried to hold on to as many people as we could because once they're gone, it was going to be very difficult to replace the headcount that that turned out and turns out to continue to be true. Not that you wouldn't be able to find people, but because uh, Hasbro or Wizards wouldn't wouldn't be able to give you the more yeah. positions once you wanted yes. them. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, you know, there's when it gets to adding permanent staff, that becomes part of the larger business plan, not mm-hmm. just not just your individual uh, lines business plan, but kind of the whole corporate, uh, you know, what's going on in HR and all of the other. Mm-hmm. You know, 
So there's a whether or not you can hire freelancers to do something, the company doesn't care about. But whether or not you hire someone who is going to be a salary and benefits and they have a connection to for a number of years, uh, sometimes you can make a very good case for why you need it and you're still told you're not allowed to mm-hmm. account. Um, but, you know, be that as it may, I say back then there were too many people and we needed to downsize. And uh, uh, so in 1992... I, I left the fold and started to uh, work freelance. Uh, I co-founded a couple of smaller uh, um, third-party publishing companies. Uh, the Game Mechanics uh, was the first one, and a few years later, uh, Super Genius Games. Uh, I went and worked at uh, Upper Deck Entertainment for a couple of years. As uh, I was a, basically, I went on just to be a writer on staff, and wound up being in charge of the writing team. Hmm. Um, which you know, people looked at at me like like I well, I, I always thought worried that people thought that I came in to to sneakily take over and and build my importance. But really, I I just wanted a gig, and uh, it turns out that they they needed someone with my skills, and so out of nowhere, I went from from being the the low man on the on the um, hiring totem pole to being the the top man in the department, hmm. uh, and uh, then they started having layoffs. This is a uh, something happens at not not just Wizards and TSR, but lots of game companies when they start hiring big with big dreams. Uh, when the dreams don't come together, the staff is often the first place they go to get uh, money back. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I went back into the freelance pool, uh, um, co-founded uh, Rogue Genius Games. Actually, I was asked to join Rogue Genius Games by Owen, and uh, uh, did freelance, started uh, doing work for um, Viz Media, doing uh, rewriting manga, uh, Japanese comics. Because uh, you, you were still, you're still fluent in, in Japanese. Well, you know what? Not translating. It's an important, important point. Okay. <laughs> translating. I'm, I'm rewriting. I, I get a, a literal translation, and uh, I rewrite it into English, which is fun to read. Okay. But my knowledge of Japanese is helpful. Okay. And I can sometimes look at the, at the originals and to, you know, sort out why do they say this, and I, I have enough information to to be able to pick it apart but I can never actually do the the full on translation my japanese skills aren't that good okay um i i wish i wish they were i wish i'd studied more when i was there i was too busy enjoying enjoying my time sure um and then uh, uh so i i rewrite uh the 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 text that goes into the actual books mm-hmm. and i started doing some work for different um Computer game companies uh, writing some dialogue text, and uh, now I'm back at Wizards of the Coast. Uh, I'm a contract employee, and I'm the uh, producer for the Dungeons and Dragons uh, tabletop games. So you've done like everything. <laughs> There's not much that you haven't done uh, within within many industries. What I'm hearing is. Um, if you get yourself a, an English degree and some experience, you can do a lot of things, and there's a lot of work for you. There's just not necessarily a, a lot of stability in that. So work. the uh, yeah, you know, I think that the um, the key is having whatever it is that uh, the company is looking to hire for, right? Mm-hmm. So while you can, one of the problems I actually have had throughout my career is getting hired. Uh, Unless I have a strong connection with people in the in the hiring uh, system, they so let's say for example they're looking to hire a designer, right? I'm a I'm a good designer. I I, I won't I won't play too much of the the uh, shy and retiring. I, I'm pretty, good. but you know I would say I'm overall. If you look at my career and where I've worked and what I've done. I would get, uh, uh, you know, I'm not the A level. I'm not Monty Cook, right? I'm not. I've I've worked with the A level people, mm-hmm. and I know that I'm 
except for longev- longevity, which I I think I get an A for longevity. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm uh, the I'm the second tier name on your credits list. Mm-hmm. Um, so but, you, when, but you're on a lot of those credits lists. Well, yeah, yeah. So, I was, I'm not trying to put down what I've done. Yeah. It's uh, uh, you know it's star power versus uh, you know. Uh, Quality time in the chair at and time at the typewriter. Sure, but I mean, uh, there's something to be said about about having that that person right. who's who's the solid foundation who's going to deliver every time, you know. Right. But what I'm saying is that companies that are hiring don't think that way. Mm-hmm. They want an A guy, and I go in in my pitches. Look, I'm a solid A minus B plus. Plus, I can do graphics. Plus, I can edit. Plus, you know, plus dot 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 mm-hmm. down. And they look at me and they go, wow, that's amazing. And then they wind up hiring an A guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, uh, I don't, I don't go so far as to say frustrating, but that's one of those realities that, that come with being the, uh, uh, um, the jack of all trades or the, you know, the guy who's, who really is a, the, uh, the utility infielder, if you'll go for a, a, a baseball metaphor. Sure. Um, what the the teams are still going to try and get a, a star shortstop instead. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's um, that's been I don't know I, you know frustration is much too difficult much too bad a word for it but that's been one of the realities of my my career is I am I am the utility guy who can get in there and get my fingers all over the place I could produce a book by myself right if if everyone else wound up getting uh, Knocked down with the flu, I could, I could take any section of what's going on and make sure it happened. It wouldn't be as good as the the star person, but it would be professional quality and it would get out there. Mm-hmm. And and you can yeah, you can do just about literally every single job that is necessary in order to put a book together. Pretty pretty close, not not all, but pretty close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say so. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, I value that, and anyone who brings me on staff values that. It's getting past the front door where they don't understand that value. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, maybe uh, for people's benefit, can you list something that you've designed that they might recognize? Something that I, I game design. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the Dragonlance Bestiary uh, from. Fifth edition from a, a, a fifth age uh, is uh, okay. one of the things I'm I'm most proud of. It's a it's a big old monster book which combines uh, not just uh, the the monster stats, but it, it was a kind of I'm going to pat myself on the back here. It's a little bit ahead of its time in that it was very story oriented. Mm. Instead of being a mechanical listing of what's there, it's written in in world perspective of a uh, guy of Caramon, uh, who's one of the heroes of the Lance, talking about all the things he's fought and what he learned about how to fight them, hmm. and with little notes from his transcriber to to uh, say sometime when he's uh, maybe uh, stretching the truth a little. And so it's got a very uh, flavorful in-world feel and the stats for every monster in the game. Right on. And so it's sort of... Uh... Uh, reminiscent of the the recent Volos Guide release, uh, only what two editions earlier? Yes, yes, okay. it's, it's kind of yes in that same vein, except I did that in 1994. Right, <laughs> 1997. Yeah, right on. Uh, now, I, the, oh, so here's here's one of I love quoting this because it's it's so crazy. Uh, I designed what, by a very real measure, is the best selling role playing game of all time. Uh, and that is uh, the Pokemon Junior adventure game. Oh, yeah? It's a uh, role-playing game. It's an actual role-playing game for parents and six-year-olds and older. And uh, uh, Wizards published it during the uh, initial Pokemon run. And we sold uh, 800,000 units in a year. Wow. And go to that. I think that... Uh, I think that uh, fifth edition might be getting close to eight hundred thousand units now. Mm-hmm. I don't think fourth edition ever hit eight hundred thousand units. So 
That's the that's the sales level. Oh, there you go. And they and they sold that in in twelve months. Twelve months. Uh-huh. So it's amazing. Yeah, pat myself on the back again. <laughs> job, but you know, Pokemon sold it, not not me. But no, I'm sure I'm sure it was all about game design. People uh, bought that because they heard they heard it was a very solidly designed game. Not going to say that Pikachu had nothing to do with that. <laughs> right on. Uh, so so you're Stan. But you've also mentioned that you're you're Stephen Brown. That's true. How does Stan or how does Stephen Brown become Stan? So again, I will. Uh, I'll go to a short version of this story because when I tell it long, it's about twenty minutes. Um, uh, when I was at uh, college and uh, I had a very nice girlfriend. Um, uh, we just started going out, and uh, it got to be uh, um, it got to be Valentine's Day time, and I ordered some flowers to be delivered to her, and they gave me a note and said, "Here, uh, sign this note, and we will uh, deliver it with the flowers." And in fact, they took the note and someone redid it in calligraphy. And they couldn't read my handwriting. So instead of getting a bundle of flowers from her boyfriend that said, I love you very much, Stephen, she got something saying, I love you very much, Stan, and couldn't figure out who the hell Stan was. (laughs) And uh, all of my friends thought this was hilarious, and they started referring to any of my drawings as being by a guy named Stan. And... uh, uh, and they, then that kept going until they started calling me Stan. And some of those people were uh, Ed Stark, who was a, a longtime TSR and Wizards of the Coast uh, designer and, and uh, creative director. And so when I got hired into companies, they'd hire me in. Steve Brown got hired to work at West End Games. And the day before I showed up... Ed was going, Stan's going to be here tomorrow, Stan's going to be here tomorrow. And so I'd show up and people would ask me, Steve, Stan, what's the deal? And I'd explain this to them. There were, you know, 15 people working at West End, I could explain it to everyone. Sure. Then like three or four people from there went to TSR and uh, before I got hired, and they hired Steve Brown to be an editor, and the day before I showed up, all Four of them were going, Stan's coming tomorrow, Stan's coming tomorrow. And so I show up and they're like, Steve, Stan, what's what's the deal? And uh, uh, so I never could tell everyone there. There was you know, 150 people at the time. Uh, but I told the people that needed to know. But people weren't remembering that my name was not Stan. And so I was there about a year and someone asked me, when when's your first product coming out? I said, my, my fourth product just came out. And I showed them, and they were like, oh, oh yeah, Steve, I forgot you're Steve. Sorry, Stan. And I thought, huh, that's, that's not good. And then the company actually sent one of my checks to someone else. Because there was another <laughs> guy in the industry whose name happened to also be Stephen Brown. And I said, all right, no, we need to fix this now. And I had to decide whether I was going to make everyone stop calling me Stan or change my credit. Just, just, don't, just don't fight the current. Right. Uh, but I didn't, it was, Stan Brown was never a guy, right? Stan just lived on its own. Uh, but if you write just Stan, it looks like a typo. And I needed something to make it seem complete, to make it seem, okay, you're done here. This is the whole thing. Move along. And you put that exclamation point on the end, and it does it perfectly. There you go. So, so now when you get, receive your paycheck, is it, is it made out to Stan? No, because that all, through, <laughs> uh, you know, that all goes through the accounts payable right, department, that'll, and that'll mess up the government who wants you to pay taxes. Right. <laughs> uh, but you know, all the all the emails, you know, all, the whole email system goes through Stan, and uh, all the invoicing comes in with a uh, whenever I invoice for anything or in my uh, accounts payable file at at Wizards, it says make checks payable to Stephen Brown. That's awesome. So, if you're going to write me a check, please make check payable to Stephen Brown. Stephen Brown. There you go. But if you ask for an autograph, you'll sign it Stan. Yeah, well, sure, I'll sign Stephen Brown. (laughs) He's going to know who that is. Awesome. 
So, so all of this started with, you know, back in 1979, I got into D&D. Yes. Tell that story. How did you get into D&D? How did you discover this game? Well, so uh, I think like a lot of folks who weren't in the Midwest, I grew up on Long Island. Uh, there weren't a lot of games, but uh, I did read about it in a magazine. There's Dynamite magazine, I think, that my sister got. Uh, and they had this article about this game. And my, my mother had heard about it. And, and people were just talking. And um, I got to play it at summer camp. And then I, uh, I came home and I immediately started trying to get a copy for myself. And that was the time when there was a, a sudden... Uh, uh, it was selling very well, but do you remember the time when there were uh, um, chits instead of dice in the, in the basic boxes? Have you ever heard about that? I, I've heard of, but I was born right. in 79. So, <laughs> right. so there was a... There was a point where uh, this is a, a very funny story. If you can ever get Jim Moore to tell it to you, you you should. Mm. Um, where they ran out of dice uh, because of some uh, bad managerial decisions and some bad manufacturing steps, <clears throat> and so and they were selling literally. This tiny company was now selling millions of copies a month, and they didn't know what to do because it was going to take them three months to start getting new dice in, and so instead. They put in cutout chits for one through four, one through six, one through eight, and you're supposed to put each one in a separate little Dixie cup and draw a number out when you needed to roll a die. Uh, but it also meant that there were a lot of places that wanted to carry D&D that just couldn't get copies for a while. Hmm. Um, and so at that point, uh, I got the only product that there was available uh, which was the official Dungeons & Dragons coloring album. Uh, because kind of like there was uh, in, the, in the U.S. last year, in the late 70s, there was a big boom in grown-up coloring books. Mm -hmm. So there was this uh, book which had a story written by Gary Gygax and intricate uh, uh, drawings. And in the middle, they had a, um, basically a, a, a simple board game. A, a very simple board game that you could play, which gave you the premise of what D&D was like. And so uh, that was my actual introduction to the game. The first product I ever owned was the, the coloring book. And the only time I got to play play was at summer camp. Um, but uh, that, that worked out okay. I still think that book is one of the best introductory products that was ever been produced for any game. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. If only they had somebody around to put together a similar product these days, huh? Yeah, yeah. If Some, only. Somebody with some cartooning chops that you know could put something. Like game and cartooned and and felt positively inclined towards such things. Right. Uh, and, and in fact, that brings up another point. Like you, you've gone through the, your long and storied uh, history and pedigree with the game, and you've worked in in what just about every edition. Um, uh, uh, no, I never did anything for first edition. For first, okay. So second edition on. That's that's most. That's the vast majority of the history of the game. Uh, and you went through all these different jobs you've had, and at no point in time have you mentioned any of your your art. Uh, right. Well, yeah. So talk about yeah, that. another thing I do, and uh, you know, if, honest, honestly, if I could pick one thing, if I if I had to pick only you know one thing that would be all that I did for the rest of my career, it would be cartooning. That's the thing I love the most and the thing I get to do the least. Um, but, uh, yes, I, I uh, at one point in, in uh, growing up, had aspirations to be a cartoonist. Um, but the thing was I didn't like doing daily strips, and that's where my, uh, uh, worth saying, that's where my skills seemed to lay, but I didn't want to do it. So I kind of pushed it to the side. Uh, I, uh, if, if it's one of those timing things, like I was doing stuff, which, uh, is the same kind of, uh, um, things that you see now with people like Scotty Young or, uh, uh, other folks who do, um, oh, um, oh, uh, Art, Art Baltazar, people who mm -hmm. do simplified versions of popular characters. Mm-hmm. 
I was doing that back in the 80s and trying to find ways to be marketable and was told that I there just wasn't. The, the comic companies had no interest in it and the fans weren't buying it. Um, and, uh, and I didn't want to do a daily comic strip. <laughs> so uh, I fell back on my second thing, game design. <laughs> It's and you know it's pretty good. My second thing is still something I love so much. Your second thing is a lot of people's like first right. thing. So. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm, and I'm happy doing it. I don't want to make it sound like this Absolutely. is like you know. Oh well, I had to settle and be a game designer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I uh, have done comics and illustrations for magazines and newspapers. Uh, going all the way back, my my first publication was in like 1982, um, and uh, I've had stuff on ESPN, you know. So I've kind of gotten around. It's not like I've had no career, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, I I did uh, a comic strip for a Dungeon Magazine called Bolt and Quiver, um, and uh, as you mentioned at the top, I did a, a comic. Uh, called Ten by Ten, which actually never appeared in uh, any of the the D and D magazines. That was done for Cobalt Quarterly. Oh, okay. I knew I, I knew I'd seen it in magazines. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but so Bolt Bolton Quiver was in uh, Dungeon and Cobalt Quarterly. Ten by Ten Toon uh, ran in uh, Cobalt Quarterly, and then I took it online for two or three years. Um, and I keep meaning to go back to it, but. Uh, it's one of those not enough time things. Sure. Uh, yeah, so cartooning has uh, been a part of my life for longer than gaming has, uh, and uh, I hope that they both stick around for a while. There you go. Someday you can retire and just be a full-time cartoonist, huh? Well, you know, <laughs> figure out how to be a full-time cartoonist. I'd, sorry, Wizards, but I would go do be a full-time cartoonist. There you go. There you go. I'm still, you know, I, I keep trying things. And uh, if anything catches on, then I'm gonna ride that horse. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite things that I that I own with uh, with Stan's name on it is the uh, the calendar you were selling at Gen Con a few years ago, and you drew a sketch of me in the back of it. So <laughs> I, I have that in my game room uh, uh, with huh? all with all of my artwork that I you know that I purchased over the years too. You know, funny thing this year, one of my goals for the year is to improve my caricature skills. Yeah, you even told me at the time that you don't normally like doing it, but you'd give it a shot for me. So. Yeah, why? Well, you know, it's it's hitting. The thing is, it's it's difficult, and uh, which is okay by me. But I, I'm hit and miss. Like there are times when I'll do a caricature, and you look at it and you go, "Straight up, boy, you should be doing this all, full time." And then other times you look at it and you've got to close your eyes and turn your head sideways and go, <laughs> "I think I can see." Oh yeah, that's him for sure. Yep, yep. Here you. I need to I need to get the average closer to great. Okay. <laughs> well, or get the, working on that. You can look at it with both eyes, right? If I can get it where you always, if you never have to shut one eye, then I guess I'm doing pretty well. Okay. Yeah. Very good. So, so you've been working in the games industry and, and in D and D specifically since since the days of yore, if you will. Um, and and you mentioned sort of working with these legends back in the day of TSR. Uh, was that when Gary was still around too? No, uh, Gary, Gary was gone by the time. Okay, I, so, so you uh, never worked with Gary. So, so tell us a story of, of, I mean, I hear all kinds of stories from, from different people that we've talked to of, of their experiences from the TSR days. Uh, what's, what's some craziness that you remember from TSR? Um, so uh, when, everyone, whenever anyone would get hired at TSR, uh, or whenever, whenever anyone would leave TSR, the next day, their cube would get raided for, you know, whatever was left behind. Mm -hmm. And the most valuable item that anyone could have left behind was a chair. Because the, uh, the office equipment at, at TSR was old, used office equipment, and the chairs were terrible. They were falling apart and uncomfortable. And so if you had a good chair... You know, to, anyone would leave, there would be chair trading. Someone would grab the good one, which meant theirs became free, and someone would grab that. And whatever the two worst chairs available 
would wind up in the new person's cube. And so I had, uh, for my chairs, I had one which looked like a complete chair, but if you didn't sit in it in a perfectly upright posture, the, the ball joint underneath was broken and it would throw you onto the floor. <laughs> it's a trap chair. Yes, and the other chair was a footstool. <laughs> so my chair, uh, for the, the first year plus that I was at uh, TSR, was a footstool. Lovely. And uh, so other people had these uh, um, problems too. That's, that's the background you need to know for the story. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's all background. So it was leading up to uh, Gen Con of, uh, 20, uh, 1997, and, uh, which was the year that Wizards bought the company. Mm -hmm. And uh, in those days, when TSR owned Gen Con, you know, there was a gigantic castle that they had in the back every year, and each of the D&D worlds would have its own station within the castle, and they would have a diorama custom-built for whatever their demo for the year was. And uh, these, were, these things cost thousands of dollars. And uh, the next year, we'd say, oh, well, let's use, just reuse the one from last year because it was pretty good, and no one could ever find it. So we'd have to get a new one built. And so budgets were pretty tight that year. And so... Uh, Jim Ward called uh, me and one of the editors, uh, Cindy Rice, into his office and said that our job for the next three days was to go through every um, every room in the building. We could there was no room that was closed to us. We could go into every room in the building to find where those damn dioramas were. So it didn't really take three days, but Cindy and I went around and. And and went opened every closet, every drawer, every everything everywhere, and and we found nothing. But um, on a an innocuous doorway in the middle of a hallway, really seemed kind of out of place. We opened it up, and there was a long thin storage space. And we're walking past boxes of what looked like old legal papers and and stuff. And there's a uh, uh, there's curtains hanging in uh, about halfway down this long space and we could see light from a skylight coming down from behind the curtains so we walked up kind of suspicious like and we grabbed the curtains and we parted them and in there seemingly arranged in a circle like stonehenge were this grouping of 10 perfectly pristine Gorgeous, comfortable office chairs. <laughs> We'd found chair hedge. And we're like, oh my god, chairs! And so we went running back to Jim and we he said, yes, indeed, stand if you found the dioramas. And we said, no, Jim, we found chairs. We can, can we have, can I have a, my chair? are terrible, can I have a chair? And he said, and sit down in this chair in my office, and I will tell you why you cannot have those chairs. <laughs> so we sat down and said, those chairs are $2,000 chairs. They are replacements for the chairs in the boardroom, should one of them break. Do you think that your little editorial behind deserves a $2,000 chair? My chair is not worth $2,000, and I'm a vice president. And I said, Jim, you should have a $2,000 chair. I'll take you. <laughs> but he wasn't having any of that. These had been bought in case anything happened to the, uh, the chairs for the management, which never did. So they just sat there. And we could not have them. <laughs> but they, I bet they were really comfy chairs. They were great chairs. <laughs> <laughs> so TSR gets bought by Wizards. A year later, I'm out in Renton, Washington, and I go into a VP's office, and I see him sitting in a $2,000 chair, and I knew exactly how much his behind was worth. <laughs> Did you ever find out what happened to those chairs? 
they got bought and taken out. They were, oh. yeah, like that guy had one of those chairs. Wow. They were different from the other ones that were in the office at, at, at Wizards. These were very specifically those chairs. He had a chair hinge chair in his office. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, so in all of the, the years and, and through all the additions and things that you've worked on, you've seen many game designers and, and other staff and editorial and managers and uh, you know, VPs and whatever come and go in the D&D brand. Mm-hmm. Um, um, if there was one person... I'm a little nervous about where this may be going. <laughs> if there was one person that you wish was still working on the D&D brand from, from all of your years of experience uh, in any capacity, whether it's you know editorial to, to design to, to management or whatever, who do you wish would still around? Mm, that, that is a challenging question. Um... That is a very challenging question. Uh, I think I think that I'm going to say Steve Winter. Okay. Uh, I would I would say Jeff Grubb mm-hmm. is a could be yeah I don't know one of those two okay uh uh they're they are people whose experience does go back all the way to first edition and all the way to when Gary was still around they they both remain very aware of what's going on outside of D and D they both love to play games um and they're they're. They're the kind of people that when you work for them, they know how to help you be better at what you do mm. and find the places. To, you know, they're, they're very good at, at not just doing their job, but at helping the people under them do their jobs. Yeah, that's awesome. And those are the kind of the unsung heroes uh, in a lot of industries, right? The people who help the rest of the staff be better. Yeah, yeah I mean, Jeff, of course, was the you know co-creator of Forgotten Realms mm-hmm. and Dragonlance and... Probably other, you know, Alcadim, uh, um, uh, uh, Spelljammer. So right? so, pretty much the, the, any of yeah. the, the uh, a lot of the settings that came out in that second edition era when, when all the settings were created. You're talking about world creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no one better than Jeff to have on your team. Since D&D, I think the reason I would go with Steve here is creating new things is not what D&D is doing now. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, Jeff, I, I didn't get to work with Jeff as a manager, so so I, I can't be sure. I, I have complete faith that he would be a fantastic manager. Steve was in charge of the D&D core team when I got to TSR, and it, I've seen him lead a lot of different teams. And I think that right now good leadership is the, the best thing that uh, uh, I would, you know, going to start rebuilding my dream team i start with someone who's going to help build a dream team mm-hmm. right on cool so so i assume in all of your your gaming interests and all of your gaming uh, days and, and experiences and all the th- different things you can do in gaming i assume you also play games yes so okay. so tell us about one of your campaigns or one of you whatever you're playing right now uh let's see well right now oddly enough one of the things i'm playing is a uh a kit-bashed version, uh, fifth edition version of Spelljammer. Hmm. We're playing that as a, a Monday kind of goof-off game in the office, uh, and and that's a lot of fun. Uh, I've got, uh, I'm in a Monday night game where uh, right now we're uh, playing um, uh, the Curse of Strahd. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a, I mean, a, a regular group that does uh, Call of Cthulhu on most Saturday evenings, about about every other Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now, I am running a. Uh, last year, Chaosium did a um, uh, an organized play game for Call of Cthulhu, uh, whose title is escaping me right now. Uh, but uh, wait, hold on, it's sitting right over here. Oh yes, a time to harvest. Okay. Uh, so I'm running that, 
And uh, I'm also in a uh, Pathfinder game that runs about once a month. So you've Plus, got about five or six active campaigns going on right now. Huh? Yeah. And, okay. and yesterday I spent all day as, at Jeff Grubb's house uh, playing board games. Right on. So, so when you uh, play RPGs, are you usually a player or a DM? It sounds like you're usually playing and you, you run a couple of games. There was a time in my life when I was a DM most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, these days I'm playing more often than I, I'm DMing. Right. And, and you're, you're pulling from your, your groups that you're playing with are, are partially people from work and partially people from, that you know outside of work. And, and is it, is it a, you know, are there people yeah. in all the groups or is it a mishmash every time? Uh, well, I mean, the, the the lunchtime group are necessarily all people at work. Sure. That's your uh, Spelljammer game, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but uh, the other groups are mishmashes of, you know, uh, folks I used to work with, some folks I continue to work with, and just folks I game with. Right on. So that, that's a lot of gaming, man. Part of me is jealous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, you know, asked uh, just ask that question. My answer would is generally like, yeah, you know, I'm gaming a little, and then I start listing them all, and I I see people's eyes grow wide, and I yeah. get, well, I I guess I'm gaming quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty happy to get in my two sessions a month, so yeah, <laughs> very good. Uh, I'm I'm impressed. So I'm expecting to see that that uh, Spelljammer kit bash, you know, codified and published, you know, in a few years. So, <laughs> well, you know, there's <laughs> there's all kinds of things between here and there. Not the least of <laughs> is the copyright. Sure, sure. Um, and uh, as long as I can play a hippo person, I'm happy. You know, with the uh, um, uh, dragon uh, dragon plus the the online. The digital uh, magazine, yeah, digital thing. Uh, it, I would, I'd say it's possible that bits of this could end up uh, being in one of those. Okay, who's, who's uh, running that but, game? That's your work game, right? Uh, yeah, no, it's a guy named John File who's uh, uh, manages a team that does the uh, that that works with the licensors who are doing all the digital D and D games that are in the in the works. But when you got those uh, those those in office games, I imagine it's it's uh, not horribly unheard of for things to leak from the games into the into the product. Oh, it's very often if you have something like we, uh, um, you know, the uh, Unearthed Arcana uh, article, the articles that go up, um, the um, a couple of months ago they were doing. Uh, new versions of classes or improvements to classes and there was an improvement on the ranger that started as the first time it got used anywhere was the designers came up and said anyone in this plane game playing a ranger here try this <laughs> right on so it's a little pre 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 play testing so, sometimes yeah yeah <laughs> cool i mean the game itself really is just for fun but yeah, I, I, I mean, I can imagine how that would be both a lot of fun because you get to test out a lot, a lot of interesting ideas, and also uh, a little uh, tiresome because sometimes you just want to like have the physics of the world stop changing and play your game, right. you know? Right. Yeah. So yeah. So and sometimes if something comes up in the game and and it uh, it seems clever, then you start designing things around it, and the next thing you know, you you find a product that it'll fit for. Right on. So, so give us, uh, if you were to give uh, the gaming community at large uh, one piece of advice, what advice would you give the gaming community? Um, I think it would, be, it would be the piece of advice I would give all of society writ large, which is be kind to each other. Mm. If there's a, a lot of, the, many too many... Uh, camps in gaming right where because you love something some other camp it draws your ire right the addition wars or the larpers versus the table toppers and that kind of stuff right yeah so uh, it's just there's too much yeah or, or uh, and to the, the things that they that sometimes wind up overlapping with the uh, real society's problems with the you know uh the um, Gamergate people, and you know, it's just you, you, that's that's 
uh, ho- hopefully, an extreme example, but there's still a lot of that out there. There's a lot of people who just, you know, gaming is, you know, it's right there in the name, game. It's supposed to be fun. Just have fun and let other people have fun. Don't, don't look to, uh, you know, enforce your views on someone else's fun or, or somehow measure or judge whether what someone else is enjoying is worthwhile. And that said, uh, games are supposed to be fun, but but they can also have a bigger impact. Uh, how do you yeah. think? How do you think gaming might help make the world a better place? What what could what's one thing you could do within the world of gaming that would help make the world a better place? Uh, let's, well, let's let's fix the world. Come on, Stan. <laughs> I, all right, let's no, let's do it. <clears throat> let's roll some dice and make everybody happy. Um, I think that. Uh, I think that one of the things that gaming is doing to work on that is that more and more games, more and particularly more and more big games from big companies, are taking a stand on inclusion, mm. whether it be gender or you know gender perception or racial. Like that, that the, uh, for too many years, we talk about this a lot in the art in the artwork for. Uh, uh, D and D is we are making a very concerted effort to make sure that whoever you are, if you're a gamer, and you you will see yourself represented in there, hopefully regularly. Um, Too many people of too many what have been side or or closeted uh, uh, constituencies have. Uh, you know, just had to sometimes wonder if they were even welcome because they could never see themselves in the game. They were never, ever represented in the game. And so uh, uh, I think that uh, the the big thing that I, I know that, that Paizo pushes it, I know that Wizards pushes it, I know a lot of the, uh, the forward-thinking third edition, uh, third-party publishers, are everyone's... Making a more concerted effort to be inclusive, mm-hmm. because ultimately uh, people play the game who are not wearing chainmail bikinis. Right. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. One of one of those kind of that's that's a, that's the most that's a serious and real version of that answer. Sure. There are other things like I, uh, I had a uh, very interesting conversation with the uh, the lead editor and the uh, art director about how difficult it is to get artists to draw male figures that don't look angry that and or that are young and good looking hmm. you go and look at the uh, you know kind of historically even just the last few years at the way men are portrayed they almost always are in their they look like they're in about in their 30s and they look Angry. Very often, their mouths are open and they're screaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just try and count the number of what look like, you know, someone in their twenties who you might want to sit down and have a beer with, and just and, happens to be swinging an axe at something, right? No, or you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, sure. In, in combat illustrations, you, people are going to look angry, but there's sure. a lot of drawings that aren't combat. You know, just kind of, you know, the the basic. Uh, um, iconic drawing of a class, right. or you know, they they're sitting around in a bar in a in a cutscene that's being illustrated, or you know, traveling down the road. See how many uh, males who are young and pleasant looking and are not screaming and are not angry. Yeah, to look for that. Uh, before we move into the lightning round, uh, what are you up to lately? What, what do you uh, go? What do you have going on that people should be looking out for? Uh, so, most of what I've been doing the last year uh, since I've uh, been contracting back at Wizards uh, has been about uh, um, doing that work. Uh, it's one of the the. Uh, uh, I'm I'm getting old. Aspects of <laughs> having been around forever is that uh, 
I find it more and more difficult to get quality work done in the evenings after doing a full day on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did a lot of work on the um, Tales from the Yawning Portal mm-hmm. uh, product that came out recently uh, and and other other stuff. So anything that, that's coming out from D&D now is something that I've been working on for the to a greater or lesser extent uh, for the last year. Uh, beyond that, uh, if you are a manga reader, uh, I am doing the rewrites for uh, the Gundam, the current Gundam Thunderbolt series, and the current uh, um, Legend of Zelda series. And um, there's a Monster Hunter series. Uh, what else? So you're still doing the manga rewriting yeah. work too. And- Oh, and Ultraman. Oh, I get to do Ultraman. That's how cool is that? Uh, so yeah, so you can you can find my words in a lot of different. Very good. Uh, and uh, I think that coming forward in the next few months, if if things go well, I will I will be posting more and more uh, drawings. I don't know that they will have a publishing home, uh, except uh, you know through my website or my Facebook. Uh, uh, I'm I'm really working uh, pretty hard to get back into the uh, drawing, regular yeah. habit of drawing and showing it to the world. Cool. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, so we're going to get into the lightning round and, and flex some of your getting to know you and creativity muscles a bit. Uh, before we do, I want to remind people that if you want to support the show, you can head over to easyrollerdice.com. They have some fantastic dice. Not only do they have some of the coolest looking metal dice, but I recently ordered some of their regular dice and they have this smooth, shiny, but not distracting finish on them that looks really cool. Clearly kind of a cut above the rest for in terms of, of just standard dice. Um, if, if I were to take pictures for like an advertisement and I needed dice in the picture, these are the dice I would want to put in that picture because they're really beautiful. Uh, check them out and use the coupon code TOME, T-O-M-E, and get 15% off your regular price. Like dice? Need more dice? Check out EasyRollerDice.com for amazing dice, including their gunmetal and rose gold collections. When you visit, make sure to use coupon code TOME, that's T-O-M-E, at checkout and save 15% immediately. Again, go to EasyRollerDice.com and use code TOME at checkout and save 15% and snag yourself some great dice and gaming accessories. You can also support us by shopping on Amazon and DMs Guild from the links at thetomeshow.com and by being a patron over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow where you can get an early peek into the things that we're doing uh, and help guide some of our future episodes. All right, Stan. Also, I was going to say Patreon. I said, if you don't have a Patreon, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we launched ours uh, a while ago. Uh, after Gen Con last year, I launched it uh, officially. I mean, I kind of had it and didn't mention it for a while. Um, and it's really picked up in the last uh, few months. So we're awesome. getting, getting a lot of cool patrons over there. And I'll, I'll shout out some of them at the end of the episode. Um, that's, that's for me. That's if, if I get my drawings going again, that's where I'm going to. I'm going to take it uh, and, and start Patreoning, too. Right on. So now it's time for the lightning round, Stan. Are you intimidated yet? My knees are shaking. Okay, good. So, so you're going to answer 20 questions as quickly as you can while also providing satisfying answers. And you yeah. want to try to beat the time of the current record holder, who is Mike Shea, who beat out Margaret Weiss and Robert Krames. Uh, his current record is 5 minutes and 15 seconds. Okay. I will do my best. All right. Number us, as we say in Japanese. What, is, what does that mean? We've been talking for an hour, and I haven't mentioned sumo. That's crazy. That's been like <laughs> my passion for the last year. But let, let's go. Lightning round. Lightning All right. Round. Lightning round. Lightning round. All right. Do you prefer to DM or play? Uh, these days, I prefer to play. Question number two. What is your first RPG? Uh, the, my first RPG was uh, the Purple Box D&D. All right. Number three, name the person who introduced you to RPGs. Oh, wow. Uh, 
His name was Devin something. He was a kid I went to summer camp with. There you go. Number four, create the title of a book that is on a mad wizard's shelf. The Tome of... Whoa. This should be easy. What was it? The 101 uses for a dead hedgehog. There you go. Number five, name a game or adventure you have not played but want to. Um, I have not played uh, uh, Prince Valiant, and I really would like to. When did that come out? Uh, a couple of years ago, but there, I'm, oh. I'm expecting to get a, 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 a Kickstarter version of it soon. Very cool. Uh, number six, the last game product you bought? Um, dice. Dice, okay. Number seven, make up an NPC's name. You know, I'll make that more satisfying. They were Formula D racing game dice. Oh, okay, so. even better. So the name of an NPC. Uh, Bilbo Krodnik. Of course. You know, everybody knows old Bilbo but Krodnik. Grief North Guy Biter. Number eight, the name of a PC you have played. Uh, Asa Gohan. Asa Gohan? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Nine. Uh, favorite house rule? Oh, we made up rules for uh, films and vigilantes to allow for variable strength power blasts. How does that work? Uh, basically, instead of the, the power blast had worked where it was, you, you always did kind of like a fireball. It always did this much. Uh, and so we created a power pool, which was a multiplier based on uh, your level and how many power bolts that would normally allow you to do. And instead of having to use them in that increment, you could do smaller or larger cost power blasts. Uh, so you were, you were outputting the same number of damage dice, but you controlled how big or small they were each time. Cool. All right, Tim, how long are your, are your typical game sessions? About uh, three hours. Eleven. Give me the name of a fantasy tavern. A what? Fantasy tavern. Oh, the uh, uh, <laughs> the sign of the buxom wench. Of course. Uh, twelve. Gary, thank you very much, Gary. <laughs> uh, tw number twelve. A source of inspiration that has influenced your game. Um. Magazine advertising in languages I don't read. How does that influence? <laughs> how do, how so does that work? <laughs> pick up, pick up them, pick up. Uh, particularly, a, a, if you can get a, a sci-fi magazine or a gaming magazine in a language you don't read, and look at the photos that you know the illustrations that they that go in there and the stuff that they've got in the ads, and pr try and figure out what they mean. And if you ever have anyone who can translate. They will tell you you're completely wrong, but you've made up something cool. All right. Uh, number 13, the best race class combination. Uh, gnome Rogue. Number 14, the best alignment. Uh, chaotic, uh, uh, neutral good. Neutral good. 15, experience points or automatic leveling? Automatic leveling. 16, the best way to, to determine your stats. Uh, cheat. Cheat. <laughs> okay. 17. Make up an elven curse. Uh, maybe, uh, 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 see, I, I want it to be too good. Uh, <laughs> may the roots always wrap around your ankles. Okay. 18. Uh, your favorite game book. My favorite game book mm -hmm. is the D and D, the original D and D uh, official coloring album. Okay, uh, nineteen. Should there be devices at the table? Sure, why not? And number twenty. Tell us a story from your game table. Uh, so there was this one time we were playing Call of Cthulhu, and my character uh, went insane, as will happen. Uh, 
and thought he was a, a bat. And so he hung upside down until all the blood rushed to his head and he passed out. Awesome. And that's the end. Your time was five minutes and 35 seconds. You were 20 seconds off of the, the top score. <laughs> <laughs> At least I was competitive. You were, you were absolutely competitive. All right. Well, we want to thank you for being on the show. Uh, where should people go if they want to find Stan on the internet? Uh, my uh, website is Stanex, S-T-A-N-N-E-X.com. Uh, as I kind of hinted at before, right now it's more sumo than it is anything else. <laughs> uh, you can also find me both on Twitter and Facebook under the same name, Stan- at Stanex. And that's um, Stanex with two N's. I had, two to, N's. I had to double like, check it myself this, this afternoon. It's, so. like, it's like Annex with a stu, not, not Stan with an X. Right. Even though Stan X could very easily, you know, make sense uh, being Stan have, exclamation point, right? I think that there's a French uh, pharmaceutical company. Uh, that beat you to the single end. Also, it also looks like Stain X, and who needs that? <laughs> there you go. So people should check you out there uh, through your website, through Twitter, through Facebook. All of them are Stan X with two ends. Yes. All right. I also want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show who get a first peek on what we're doing on the show, just like Stephen Robertson, Darren, Darren Appel, Robert Aducci, Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, Mark Simat, Danny Silva, and Robert Cooper. Cooper, you should join in with them and, and see what all the, the action is about. Uh, and of course, you can also head over to thetomeshow.com and click to Amazon or DMs Guild through there. You get the exact same experience, but we get a few coppers in our pouch along the way. If you want to reach out to me, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can tweet me. I am at Squatch. That's S-Q-U-A-C-H. Or you can tweet at the, to- the show, which is at the Tome Show, or call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. This has been Gamer to Gamer with Stan. Because sometimes sometimes you have to get out from behind the DM screen and meet people. I'm on the wall.